But Mike is the one that I feel is like very, very nervous. Yeah. I know because we went to Caltech uh, for research uh, um, to learn about like, you know, robotics and stuff like that. Um, and I remember like the guy was showing us like this legs that were just like very slow, oh, yeah. like, like light years away from uprising. Yeah. Uh, it took it like it, he could, the robot legs couldn't stand up. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They need to rise up first before they can rise up. So, and then Mike, <laughs> and then and then Mike, the guy's like, hey, so yeah, so this is the robots, and then there's a little machine over here, and it's like a little like car, and then you know, it's a, uh, like a, uh, yeah, it's, it's really simple stuff, but we're working on it. So any questions? And Mike raises his hands and goes, I have one question. What's your end game? <laughs> hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week, I sit down with Guillermo Martinez, head of story for the Oscar-nominated animated feature, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, the movie that should have won the Oscar last year. We chat about the team's first trip to the Oscars, what gave The Mitchells so much heart, the world that was created and brought to life, and of course the time Mike Rianda, the creator of The Mitchells vs. the Machines, was invited to Caltech to talk AI and ask them what their endgame was, and the hilarious story about hiring a private investigator named The Wolf. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you're digging the new format. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by a man, a part of the team that should have won the Oscar. I told you that's how we're going to start. They should have won the Oscars for the Mitchells versus the Machines, Mr. Guillermo Martinez. Sir, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me in this amazing podcast, and then thank you for saying Guillermo right. <laughs> <laughs> No problem. And thank you for Randy for uh, for, for mm. putting this name and floating the name out there, man. Randy Myers, go ahead and check out his episodes because they are a blast. Uh, so we buried the lead a little bit there, man. You were the head of story for uh, The Missiles vs. the Machines. Like I told you earlier, this is my favorite movie of last year. It should have won the Oscars. Nothing wrong with Encanto. Encanto is great. But The Mitchells vs. the Machines was amazing and spectacular. Uh with the exception of going into what happened on Oscar night, you know, the, the infamous slap heard around the world. What was it like for you being there with the movie that you guys worked on being up for an Academy Award? What was that feeling like to you? Well, it was, you know, people always say like, oh, it's a surreal experience, but there is no better way to describe it because it was very surreal. Because, you know, especially something like Mitchell's where like we, there's a very like maximalist or very intense energy with that film that, it almost screams like yeah we don't care about war it's like we just want to have fun and we just want to make something that's like intense and and cool and <clears throat> so but then you know and we wanted to make something that like was that really resonated with families and people that you know that people could just have fun with and then but then to start hearing people really like people saying like oh i cried for four hours yeah. after watching the movie or i called my parent after watching the movie i was like oh wow this is like really deep this is is this this is happening and then and then eventually the critics were like saying like yep you guys are one of the best films and then i was like whoa wait no it's not gonna happen the oscars are, the oscars are not gonna happen and then that day we got num- the nomination it was like really wild i was like this is bonkers <laughs> it was like they invited like a, a punk band into like a very like classy you know like restaurant and we're like what are we doing here which felt that same way when we went to the oscars because like <clears throat> Like we were, we all got like me, Lindsay Olivares, who was the production designer, character designer, and uh, Greg Levitan, who was the head editor. Uh, we were all in the car and we went to the, to the Oscars, and it was just so bizarre because like seven blocks from away from like the, like it was all happening in the Hollywood, 
around Hollywood or downtown Hollywood, I think. Yeah. And seven blocks were blocked off. And it was it felt like we were going into Guantanamo Bay. It was really weird. It was like like there were like blockades and like and and, and it was it was insane. And we're like, whoa, this is happening. And when we got there, there was this big feeling of like, you know, when you look at the Oscars, you're like, wow, that feel looks big. And then you see it in the reality, you're like, oh, it's, it was it was cool. No, that thing was huge to the point that I think all of us were like, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> we feel so out of place here. Um, but it was it was just a, it was an amazing experience that we just tried to live it. And, and there was a moment where we're like, you know what, let's just have fun, uh, drink as much as possible, you know. <laughs> find little gift bags and just enjoy the night as much as possible because whatever happens it's been great you know like it, we never we never expected this and to be at that moment you know it was it was just wild and also like you know when when uh Encanto won uh after it we would start going like you know what let's let's just go to the bar and like you just and talk because like sometimes it's really weird like to just be sitting there and just like watching a show and you know it was my our first oscar but we we're like yeah let's just chat and so we went to the bar and in the bar is when we find out about the slap and i'm like wait a second the most historic thing to ever happen in the oscars happened well because i needed to drink i needed to talk i couldn't do that after um but yeah no <clears throat> like the energy was really like, we were all so excited we were like yeah we won you know we, we felt like we won just for this whole experience Man, that, that's awesome. One of my favorite things that came after the Oscars was seeing Mike post all of the photos of his mom. Like his mom just kicked her shoes off essentially and was like, I'm just going to power this person. Oh, shit. I see this person going and getting pictures. It was such a how do I put it? It was a beautiful like even though you guys didn't win. Right. You guys yeah. went in there and then all of the photos and that's something that will stand the test of time. Just seeing, cause you see so many people and I've heard so many stories about people that didn't win an Oscar or didn't win an Emmy. Yeah. You know, they, they get upset. They walk out, you see the pictures of them very, very angry, but you guys went in there. And then even though you didn't, you, you, it looked like you guys still had a blast. Cause you guys were at the show, you know, most of the time it's, it's Disney Pixar is getting top bill and Disney Pixar are the ones that anybody ever talks about. Right. So for you guys to go in there and then, like I said, seeing all the pictures of you guys having fun, you guys look like a family, man. It was it was it was yeah. really cool for us fans to see it from from our perspective. Oh, yeah. No. And it felt that way. And, you know, it's we. so I think my someone told me, I was like, you guys were like basically the bad news bears <laughs> of animation, you know, like like you lost what you started celebrating. And it's like, why are they celebrating? Like It, it was like that energy. And, and especially when I. Like, you know, it was it was like, you know, oh, shucks. But then <clears throat> when we saw Debbie Rianda and her, and her husband and like Mike's dad and parents were like, oh, oh, the night is going to be fantastic because <laughs> they those two are just so energetic and they're so positive. And she and like she was hugging me and she's like, I'm going to meet this celebrity. I'm going to meet this celebrity. And I'm like, well, I'm going to support you. You'll do your thing. And then she's just meeting all like she met, she met Anthony Hopkins and. I have videos of of uh, Mike breakdancing in the governor's ball. Nice. <laughs> like he he will look at it and be like, "That's not breakdancing. That is shaking in the ground." But I'm like, <laughs> I saw breakdancing there. So you know, uh, and what? Uh, hmm. It was so funny. Okay, uh, Mike is gonna be like, "Don't say this. It's so embarrassing." But I don't care. He was like, "You know what? I got some fake. <laughs> I got some fake Oscar trophies that he made." Just to us be like, yeah, you know what? You guys, you guys deserve to win. 
and so he was he was gonna give us all the, like the fake Oscars, but they broke. Some of them broke. <laughs> and but we tried to we tried to use some of the awards to be like, hey, well, let's see where we can get in with this stuff. And so and we got into some places, but not every place. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was fun. it was fun. Like it was like we're, we didn't take it too seriously, and I think that's the magic of is to be able to enjoy it. You don't also have to like be like if you didn't win, it's like you don't have to be so sad. It's like no, this whole this whole thing is a party. There's literally a bar in every floor of the Kodak Theater. That, you know, so it was great. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, I, I really wish you guys, I'm pretty sure you guys do. I wish you guys would have won. Um, but we won in a sense that us fans got to see this beautiful movie. Like I said, I buried the lead. And going back and and we'll we'll kind of jump a little bit here and there and all over the place. Uh, fans know how the, the, the thing, there's really no structure to this show. It's generally whatever we talk about, we talk about. Um, yeah. But but one of the things that I absolutely loved, and I want to circle back, you said when, when you were hearing fans say, I cried after this movie for quite some time. I called my parents. There's one scene in particular uh, that hits so close to home. Now, I've got a 12-year-old, and we also have a 10-month-old, right? A uh, huge mm. age gap, right? We weren't even supposed to have one, you know, uh, let alone two, um, and then 12 years apart. It's crazy. <clears throat> But for the first four years of my oldest son's life, I was in the military. I was in the Navy um, well, for six years of his life. I was in the Navy, but uh, first four years I was consistently deployed. Um, so I didn't get to see him very often. Uh, and there's one memory that sticks out and it's him. When I get off of my second deployment, I pull into San Diego. Right. And he's maybe two years old, maybe 18 months. Right. And yeah. it's him running down the pier. And I'm going to try to do this without tearing up, but okay. it's him running down the pier right? He hasn't yeah. seen me in nine months. I haven't seen him in nine months. I got to see him in Skype and all that shit when I was overseas, but it wasn't yeah. the same as physically being there, right? So I see him running and he's got his hairs all, that's why I wear a hat. My hair does not sit down. My hair does what it wants to do. So I have to confine it with a cap. So he's got, he hasn't even had his first haircut yet. So he's got curls all over the place. He's running down the pier. Uh, you know, I, I, can, I can see him in that little blue jacket he's got, right? And he's screaming, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he's got his, his arms up, right? So I pick him up. And then I'm watching, right? So I'm watching the Mitchells versus the machines. And it's that part where Rick's going back and he's looking at all of these videos after they had the huge fight. Yeah. And it's that scene where she's running towards him. And then he has this feeling of like, oh shit, man, it's time with kids goes so quickly, right? I I'm 33, right? I blink and then I have a 12 year old. And I'm yeah. blinking and my youngest is almost a year old. So getting to see that and getting to feel that, like, I think 10 years ago, I would have felt a lot differently about that scene in particular. I probably wouldn't have got as emotional as I did, but you guys managed to capture, and I don't know what it is or who thought about that scene or how that scene kind of flushed out, but that scene had to have been written by a parent that's probably going through what the scene explained and what I just explained as far as kids growing up and then you kind of seeing that that I won't say that closeness disappearing between them. Cause once kids grow up, they kind of, you're no longer that idol. You're no longer that hero, that person that they absolutely have to go to for everything. Cause they've got their own identities, they've got their own friends and they've got all these other new heroes that they look up to. But that scene in particular struck so fucking hard, dude. It was a beautiful scene. What was, how did that scene come about? Do you know, I know head of story, you got to know something about it, but yeah. Uh, well, that scene was, it's funny, like these movies like tend to change, as just you probably know, like this they oh yeah it takes so long to make these movies. So and there's always like there's like, every scene I think goes through so many like iterations and changes and stuff. That one in particular was the beating heart of the movie. 
Mm. And it was the one that like, no matter what happened, everything around it would change except that one. Because if we knew that we, if we tamper with that one, then the whole movie would just, you know, it wouldn't connect. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I remember like, um, I remember Mike writing it and just like, and and it's funny because Mike isn't isn't a dad, but his relationship with his dad and is a very powerful one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we brought in uh, Hannah Cho, who's one of our one of our first board artists that we had, and she has this skill where she can literally just put pen and paper, and she will make you cry. Yeah. Like she like like that's her that that's, that's her strength, that's her weapon. His superpower is doing emotional scenes, and and um, it's funny because we because it's like that that. Um, that home video has a sort of montage quality. Like it's not that it's like one more, it's one moment and then another moment, another moment. We came up with a bunch of moments and, you know, a lot of them, some of them had comedy in it and, you know, uh, and some of them were like, you know, just Katie and Rick going, Mitchell's Mitchell's climbing through, like walking through the forest. But I don't know what it was that like that when we saw, I think the way it was staged also, like Hannah Cho did a fantastic job of like, of, of the little girl, like, seeing, looking at the camera and then, like, doing the little things with her feet and then going into the door and then running towards the dad. I remember seeing that scene and I was like, this is, if if someone were to ask, this is the heart of the movie, what's, what's the heart of the movie is that moment. Yeah. And I was like, that, okay. That, uh, that, and when I saw that shot, I was like, this movie's going to be special. And it's so funny because she's she's very, like, Hanacho is very calm and cool about everything. And so you see Mike sobbing. <laughs> she was pitching the scene. And I'm like just teary eyed. I'm like, this is so beautiful. And we're like, that's amazing. And she's like, oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I yeah, know. She's very chill. Like, she's like, kind of like a cool cat. <laughs> we're like, that's her thing. Um, and so and so in and before that, I think we had in the storyboards we had when we put it in in in, in animatic, we had the sound of like a, of an actual little girl home a home movie of a little girl finally seeing her dad and it would just put it in the with the boards and it was just like magic and we're like oh this is perfect um and so and i i i'm gonna be very honest with you there was a moment where like i was almost like raising my hand about the scene because i but all sound like because i'm ahead of story and i had the story math in my brain i'm like I, I was like oh if we do if we show the scene then the movie becomes about rick instead of about katie and there, but it was a, a moment where I think everyone was like, you know what, that's totally fine, because yeah. <laughs> like, because like it, 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 and and in a way, like we we were aiming to make the movie about Katie, but in reality, like it felt it felt like we were watching it from the point of view of a dad who was about to, who has no way of communicating with her daughter, and not for not from a negative reason, not for not for bad reasons, she's more like a loss in translation situation. Yeah. But she's a different generation and he's a different generation and he's like trying to navigate to talk to her. yeah which i know like right now I'm like branching off into different <laughs> conversations about this particular relationship but there was a moment where like the the first version of the movie rick was a curmudgeon and katie was like fuck you dad you know like that began, <laughs> it made us laugh because we're like this is funny it's like the, the cartoonishly grumpy old dad and then the and and you know and, and and katie being all like whatever and then eventually they'll fall in love but like i think one of the blessings that we got from phil and chris was that like you know they really push for like you know for the heart of it mm-hmm. and if you don't love this family and and, and and it's two negative people 
fighting with each other, you're as an audience member, you're gonna be like, oh, I don't, I don't like this. But if you're seeing Rick trying his best, yeah. you know, and K- Katie's like, ah, oh, Dad, just want to watch my movies, and it's just, and they, they can't get together, and it just, and they clash, but it all came from a good place. Then when you see that scene of the whole movies, it lands even better, you know. And, and so like, I, I, and and so yeah, I mean, I, I think that 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 for me that scene is was the heart of the movie and i i I took my hand down and i was like you know what this scene is perfect i don't want to i don't want to mess with it and it just stayed like that for five or six years that's insane man thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it uh i've heard on on multiple different i've heard on on multiple episodes of this show where you know if if a show is in production like say they're on season one they'll have like one mantra or one motto or one ethos for what the show is supposed to be about you know it's redemption or it's um trying to find their place in life and all that other stuff did you guys have one for the mitchells versus the machines as far as like something you guys always had to go back to and say hey this is what we're trying to do was there a mantra or a motto that you guys had um we had a couple um uh, it's, let me see. Um, I think one, one one mantra that we always used to go back to, because and this is just because me, Mike, and Jeff, we kind of like always used to like write stuff just to make ourselves laugh, and it was always like we would come up with like a bunch of gags that would be hilarious and and, and it would be funny. But um, but one thing that was a mantra that was like we learned, <clears throat> I think we learned midway through the production of this movie was it should we should always go it should always be about the family yeah uh and because and, like we would have moments where we would just go off to pal and then we would just like have like like there's a scene the scene where like the the robots are uprising and you know taking people away like that used to be a long scene and we used to go around the world and we see like robots doing funny things in london funny things in china funny things in you know australia um and for some reason, like we were laughing, but the audience didn't care because at the end of the day, they were like, just take us back to the family. I'm very curious about the family. <laughs> and so it helped us, like it made us realize like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, it's, what we think is funny at the end of the day, if it's not tied to the family and the family's journey, then I don't care. Because like right now, like we're like, like the big question is like, are, are Rick and Kitty ever going to connect? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of our big mantra was like, always go back to the family um mike had like a whiteboard where he had um where he had a tear meter and a laugh meter <laughs> and he would always like we, we would always be like looking at like screenings and people laughing at moments and we we're like okay cool and like oh, okay so they laughed at this part but they didn't laugh at this part we gotta make things funnier and then oh but we gotta make things more emotional and so we would just that like those three things became kind of our mantras theme wise i don't know if we had one Cause I went, uh, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. I I feel like if we did have a mantra in regards to theme, maybe the journey would have been an easier one. But like, um, um, but yeah, for us it was always about like you know always remember it's, this movie is about the family, not about the robots. It's always like which. That's how you know you. The, that's how I know we made a good film is because it's like we could replace the robots for zombies. Mm-hmm. and it's still and we still tell the same story and it, and it still feels good and it still works um so yeah so i guess those were our mantras but not necessarily theme tied but so 
out of the two, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Mike and Jeff, who's afraid of AI and who's afraid of the AI uprising? I want to, I want to say without hesitation that it's definitely Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without question. I think Jeff knows that we're, we're in a good spot. Like, you know, there will be some, yes, he is concerned about mm-hmm. the robot uprising, but Mike is the one that I feel is like very, very nervous. Yeah. I know because we went to Caltech uh, for research uh, um, to learn about like, you know, robotics and stuff like that. Um, and I remember like the guy was showing us like this legs that were just like very slow, oh, yeah. like, like light years away from uprising. Yeah, uh, it took its like it, he could the robot legs couldn't stand up. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They need to rise up first before they can rise up. So and then Mike, <laughs> and then and then Mike, the guy's like, hey, so yeah, so this is the robots, and then there's a little machine over here. It's like a little like car, and then you know, it's um like a uh, yeah, it's, it's really simple stuff, but we're working on it. So any questions? And Mike raises his hands and goes, I have one question. What's your end game? <laughs> <laughs> And, and and they're like, oh, sorry. It's like, no, no. What's it? What's the end game? What's the what, like? Why? Why robots? Why? And I remember just laughing because I was like, that, that. Of course, you're the guy who's big in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, you're gonna be like hesitant. Like he's he's just very very nervous about that stuff. Um, and you know, I am. I welcome them with open arms, personally. So I usually pull. <clears throat> I'll pull like a couple clips and then a teaser trailer. This is 100% going to be a clip. Is what's your end game? That that's just phenomenal. Is that where that that now I usually don't do this and the only reason I can pull some of the lines or some of, you know, these specific moments is cuz I just rewatched it again because like I said I want to make sure I was on point with this. Yeah, of course. And it's such a fun movie. Um but is that where that that scene with Katie and Rick at the end he's like oh man, I'm kind of nervous type of thing. And he's like, dad, here, use this line. And she says, this is the end or the end game starts here or something along those lines. Is that kind of where that came from? You guys? Oh, that, I don't think, I don't think it came from that. I think that one came from like, we knew we wanted like, we knew we wanted like a moment between them. Like, mm-hmm. like, like just a very like human moment of like, oh, let me say something. And then, the, and, then the, and then Katie being able to help him and almost like you see them together. Like, oh my God, they're having a moment. Um, but there was like multiple options. Like it could be the end game has begun or like yes. time for the battle to begin. But I think the end game be- has begun. Like for some reason, it was the one that like landed. Yeah. Yeah. So, because uh, I don't, I, I had to remind Mike about it. Like I was like, Mike, you told this to the guy from Caltech. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, oh, I forgot about that. But yeah, 100%. <laughs> what is their end game? <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal, man. <clears throat> now, uh, with, some of these characters, some of these scenes, man, I, I got to imagine you being ahead of story. It's I've heard this term used multiple times when it comes to writers. It's like putting on a pair of shoes or putting on a pair of socks. Some yeah. characters folks can slip into very easy. And some people it's it's like putting on a sock that's maybe a little bit too tight. It, it yeah. gets there eventually, but it's a little bit difficult. So who were some of those characters when writing this and helping progress the story along? Did you feel like, man, it was an absolute fit? easy to jump into and who were some of the characters that were a little bit more difficult to get in, into the headspace for? Um, that's, that's a very good question. Oh, wow. I think Katie was very easy. Cause I think Katie was like us, like she was a film student and we know what a film student who's just obsessed with her films. And there's a little bit OCD about mm-hmm. making crazy films that we know what that is. Um, with Rick, it was, I think Rick was one of the characters that was a little bit more trickier because we thought that like making him a, a, a curmudgeon and a grump was going to be good. But then when we find out that that wasn't the case, we then had to like, okay, what is it that we're missing then? 
because we don't want to make him too nice. Because yeah. then it feels like Katie's being intense or abusive or whatever. Uh, so finding his balance took a while, and I think one thing I'm good at is that like I I I, I know how to take things that can be a little bit like intense. And I know how to like give it appeal. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my superpowers, and I was able to like find the moments where Rick sounded like he was being a little bit aggressive and like just kind of do something with the expressions of the eyes yeah. or like you know like rick like in the first in the first dinner scene rick was always like this like his eyebrows were just like constantly frustrated but then like you know whenever he was excited about something instead of like you know like being aggressive about it he was like like actually i would make the eyebrows more curious so there was a, like curiosity instead of like him wanting to like shove the things that he likes on katie's face like it was it was these subtle things that started to help define who he was um and then that that informed Mike. It was like, oh, okay, cool. I think he's kind of like a. And then we try to like do it, push Rick in a place where he was just a full on goofball, mm-hmm. like almost like goofball possible QAnon member. Like you know, like it was just like a, it was like, you know, like we uh, he, he he was like he was very weird and like and very like intense. <laughs> and he was like you know like the government is out to get us, uh, and that was funny for us, but then it wasn't funny for regular audiences and so we, we just took it like he's still that sort of guy but like it's almost like we took it down to like you know like um um when he's doing the uh when he's trying to catch wild game and he's just like teaching him how to do like um oh my god what's the term i forgot what's called the snare trap the snare trap yeah like i was like that's as far as we can go you yeah. know um and you know sure we have uh but like it, it's it, that that would came up balance that i think it wasn't even until like uh, uh, Danny McBride showed up that I that almost like that he was like the, the cherry on top. It's like oh there we go, that's what he is. Um, and so it, it, that he surprisingly he became much more difficult than we thought it was. Linda was super simple. Linda was pretty simple because like it was based on like on on on, on Mike's mom, mm-hmm. and Aaron was obscenely simple because that's Mike. <laughs> you know mike was 100 percent. yeah like he was for him it was super easy to write aaron because like i still remember him telling us the story of what his old sister was leaving and he was like broken inside uh i'm sorry mike if i'm exposing you <laughs> a lot of you from that's fine um but he was so he, that he was like oh, okay cool and ever whenever he would be writing scenes for Aaron it was like that'd be perfect and we had a lot of voice actors come in to do the voice of Aaron and the reason why I think we came with we went with Mike is I think everyone like was either too cartoony or too kid like yeah and I'm like there's a there's a subtlety of what Mike does with Aaron where Aaron is like nervous and a little bit like you know a little bit spectrumy and but also he has a little sassiness too to himself yeah. and that, that only Mike knew how to do. Uh, and we've seen kids who have like voices that sound like forty year olds, you know. But um, it's just him to work for us. And um, yeah, I think yeah those because even the, the robots were, were pretty um, easy. Uh, yeah, I think Rick was definitely the most the hardest one, surprisingly. So Rick reminded me of Ron Swanson from Parks and Rex, just a little bit more goofier. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Danny McBride because I think he is the Swiss army knife in the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood sphere, the movie sphere. I mean, from shit, why am I forgetting Eastbound and Down to yeah. Tropic Thunder to uh, what was the one with Andy Samberg and he was the stuntman. Um, oh, shit. 
just anything Danny McBride. I can't think of that name. We just, I would just watch that again with my kid uh, for the life of me. It'll come to me down the road when we're in the middle of something heartfelt and we're talking about it. I'm like, yeah. oh shit, that's what it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that you can just plug and play Danny McBride, and, and you look at him and you see the movies he's done, and most people just think like, oh, he's just a comedy actor. But yeah. then you go and you put him behind the microphone and you give him a an emotional role like this, like a dad. Like I don't know, I don't know if Danny's a dad or not. I'm, I'm assuming he is, um, but just the heart that he put into that, it was just. It was phenomenal, man. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed. There wasn't one misstep in this entire uh, in this entire movie. And then um, <clears throat> circling back to Mike being Aaron, he, him, and, and Munchie were probably my two favorite characters in this entire thing. I'm pretty sure it's like that with almost everything. Uh, <laughs> I can I can sit there and pick a character and I can like them for a specific reason because I can see myself in that character. Yeah. Um, but just seeing the interaction between a kid and his dog and a kid that is just balls deep into dinosaurs or something. Cause I pretty sure you can see him back there. I'm a huge yeah. Ninja Turtle fan. And yeah. that's what I was like, like with Aaron and dinosaurs, I was like that with Ninja Turtles at that age. I wanted, I wanted to know everything. I mean, I've got these little bastards all over the place in my, in my office. Wow. I just wanted to know everything about them. Somebody would say something and I would somehow make it about the Ninja Turtles. And I would tell them facts that they really didn't need to know that wasn't going to progress any kind of you know, actual conversation down the road. It was just, it was my lifeblood back then when I was young. So I, I saw myself in them. And then I've got a dog that he's not, he's not a pug like Munch. He's not a dog, pig, loaf of bread, which was a phenomenal little, I love that, that whole descriptive thing and it would make them haywire. Um, but I've got a dog, I've got a male Husky and his name is Diggle. If you ever watched the arrow, the arrow verse, um, I was yeah. a fan of John Diggle. Uh, um, fuck, David Ramsey is the guy, the actor's name. So I, I have two Huskies, a female and a male. One's named Ollie after Oliver Queen. Uh, and the other one was named Diggle after John Diggle. So the two characters in the Arrow show. Um, but he is exactly like Munchie. He's very, very, he's lovable very dumb like my dog diggle he is <laughs> right he is he's the type of dog so i had a i have a smoker right i'm smoking a pork butt one day yeah. and i'm doing the burnoff stage so i've got it ripping hot 500 degrees right so i've got the i've got the thing open and i let the dogs out all of them go past it to go take a piss or shit whatever they got to do out in the yard and they come back in except this dumb fucker right he goes over there and i'm hearing him cry he's licking the hot grates right? Oh he's trying God. to get them. Yes. Very dumb. So he's licking it and he's, ah, he's, he's crying like a dog. I'm like, get the fuck away, man. It's, it's hot. So I'm, I'm pushing him away and I close the door, but I leave the hatch on it. Right. So he had somehow found a way to bump it and open it back up and continue to lick it again after he burnt himself. And I'm wow. looking at this dumb fucker. I'm just like, what the hell is wrong with you, dog? I was like, your mother should have eaten you. If, if this was out in the wild and you were a wolf, your mother would have eaten you a long time ago because you were a detriment to the pack. Right. But he's a sweet dog, man. Everybody loves him. We like playing with him, dressing him up. He's just a cool dog. Just he's a little slow. So I mean, I, I like that he's slow, but like at the same time, he was able to be smart enough to like, yeah. uh, <laughs> he's got moments of clarity. Yeah, <laughs> that feels very monchy, to be honest. Yeah, you know, and it's, <clears throat> like I said, I loved the two interactions with them. Him talking about, oh, we got to get him a little uh, tuxedo and a top hat like a gentleman. Yeah. And, the dad's, and Rick's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, like a gentleman, right? And he was like, yes, monchy sitting at the table, like a gentleman in his tuxedo. It's just little things like that. you just like, oh, man, I could see myself 
acting like this at seven, eight years old, however old Aaron is. I think he's pretty seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. Um, You know, so I could see myself like that. I mean, with these cast of characters, was it difficult finding, not in the voice in the sense of a voice actor, a voice actress, was it hard finding the voices for these characters or was the Bible pretty good and pretty set on how these characters should act and interact and, and voice and everything with each other? I think it was pretty set uh, very early on. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't that difficult. Like, and when you say like voice, you mean like the, like it's voice. Yeah. How he would, how he would interact or what he would actually do. Cause there's so many times you'll see like, Oh, that character, that seems out of place for that character. He shouldn't be doing this. So I was just wondering if it was very easy to establish these characters. They had a set kind of a way about them and everything. Well, yeah, I think the voices were very easily established, very well established from the very beginning. Cause I remember when Mike pitched me the movie, like I I could see the characters very, very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Rick was like, like one thing in particular, I think was that like maybe they were more, there was they were leaning more towards wacky a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit in the beginning, but like like what you saw was kind of what you got. Yeah. And then it was, and then the, the journey was throughout those six or five years was to kind of like go from like just laugh out loud comedic moments and some that sometimes will be like a little bit too much, and then like give them a little bit of more humanity, mm-hmm. but not too much. Like it was it, it was. I've been in productions where, like, I've seen characters like go through like roller coasters. Yeah, but trying to figure out who they are, and these ones were like from the very beginning were very solidified. Um, you know, it, it's uh, you know, Pal maybe was one of one of the ones that like took a while to figure out, because uh, you know, like Pal was like Pal used to be like a lot more menacing, and then like we and then, but I think once Olivia Coleman came in, I think she added like that sort of craziness. Yeah, but I think it's like made it just it was like a hybrid of like Dr. Claw and, you know, I don't know, and Olivia Coleman, I guess. <laughs> uh, but it, it was uh, it, it wasn't that difficult. There was a lot of I don't know. Um, yeah, th- I would say that a lot of all these characters were very, very, very defined very quickly, which is which is a is it. Yeah. 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 So with 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 Powell, what I absolutely loved, and then when I when I sent you that picture earlier today, uh, I just thought my kid was just my kid will usually say like, "Oh, look at this." He's just talking out of his ass most of the time because he wants to make jokes and shit like that. So I assumed yeah. he saw something, and when he saw Powell up there, I'm like, "Oh shit, the robot rising is happening." It only took a year for this movie to get into production, or it took six years <laughs> to get into production, make it made, and then we're already starting to see him pop up, but. <clears throat> What I loved about Pal, and I hate to keep referencing Disney because, like I said, you guys should have won it. Uh, however, Pal had this similarity uh, to one of my favorite villains from The Emperor's New Groove, which was Yzma, right? So you can oh, yeah. see like how evil she was, but yet how play, if that makes any sense, how evil, but how playful she was as a villain. And what I loved about Pal, and it was the scene he was, she was, put me on the table so I could flip around and be upset. So it's her just, 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 just yelling. I'm like, dude, I could see that shit. I could, like, if I was a phone and I was evil and shit and I don't have any arms, any legs, put me on the table so I can be upset. And I'm just flipping up and down. It was just, it's one of those moments. that's just so damn funny with gags like that, man, where, where, or how do those come about? Or when you guys are flushing out the story, how does something like that, kind of make it way in there i know it's collaborative so everybody we should do this we should do this but how does that come about 
Well, it's uh, it's a long <clears throat> process because some. I mean, it it varies because like some of the times, Mike has an idea and it, it works, and then there's other times where like I think Mike has cre- Mike created an environment where like if he would give us the pages for like, hey, there's this joke I have, but at the same time, if you have other better ideas, let me know. Yeah, <clears throat> he was not that precious about the script, which was a, which created a really cool environment in the story department of like, oh, let's do, we can do whatever we want. Um, and I think for us, we did have also an of well, now that we talk about mon- going back to mantra, you know, like one of the mantras that we had is that the audience was our boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, if we did something, if we had a joke and it didn't land, and then we would just continue going on and on and on. Um, and all those jokes that came from, like, you know, we had multiple, multiple brainstormings, brainstorms where we're just like, kind of like, what is the funniest thing you can do with a phone? Yeah. Uh, that uh, I think went all the way to the very end. Like, I think we were like two months away from the movie coming out and we were still like, can we do an off-screen joke? Like, is there a possibility <laughs> to cram some humor in this? Um, so yeah, so it, 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 you know, it we had people with different brains that like, you know, approach comedy in a different way. I approach comedy in a very edgy way, mm-hmm. but then there's also a lot of people who approach comedy in a more like emotional way. Like, for example, like, you know, we had this girl uh, called Quinn Larson. She was a storyboard artist and she would do like little watercolor, like comic strips. And those were like her little thumbnails of like jokes or ideas. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm here like drawing disgusting fucking drawings in a Photoshop. <laughs> and she's just like bringing art. Like it's easily <laughs> framed. And it's like, oh, this is, this is some of my jokes. And she came up with the idea of whenever a robot like got emotional, that like they would just like kind of draw yes. here with a crayon. And that made it into the movie. Uh, and it's just moments. It's just moments where, like, I think it's like a unanimous. Uh, Phil and Chris call it a, a clean kill. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, like it, the joke has to be like a really solid joke. Uh, and then sometimes the way we also worked was, um, in in our brainstorms, we would just kind of board it out really quickly and then give it to Mike, and then Mike would put it in an editorial, and the editor would like put, do multiple versions of like the setup of the joke and then the the punch of a joke. Mm-hmm. And then we would just see we would see them all together and just read the room and see which one was the funniest. Um, and that was like that for the whole time. Um, you know, like like I still remember the, the last joke I ever pitched in the movie was that like when Katie finished her speech at the end to Powell, Powell was like in the, in the sleep mode. Because like we were wondering like what, what, what would like like what was Powell do? Like, oh, this is so boring. I was like, well, I was like, oh, maybe it's like you know, maybe it's in sleep mode or something. And then people were like, yes. And then we just did it. And that was it. Um, so yeah, so I think the process was like a very like welcoming, good one. There was also moments where like, I have to agree that me and Mike and Jeff have very dark humor, yeah. you know? <laughs> there was one joke that I think we wanted to put in the movie, but there was no way, that, there was no space for it, of course, <clears throat> where Pal was telling Mark, uh, humans with phones and technology are problematic and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's not true. We're not at all. And he's like, oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. Uh, let's stick, for example, this little thing over here. And then we see a chimpanzee with a handgun and he's just waving it and then he's just shooting everywhere. And they're like, it's like, ah, what's going on? It's like, yeah, you humans are like chimpanzees with handguns. You guys are very dangerous. And we were like, we should do that. And then at the, at the same time, we kind of stopped ourselves and we're like, yeah, we're not going to have a chimpanzee with a handgun yeah. in a family film. <laughs> and so we just pull it back, pull it back. And 
um you know what other jokes we had a lot of jokes that were like just very you know we had jokes where like with the with the furbies where like the furbies would like say very like you know like let's let's kill the humans but i think hasbro was like well they can't say let's kill the humans and then we would be like can we say let the dark harvest begin and they're like okay yeah sure and i was like okay cool what a happy medium uh and so that was one of the best lines ever yeah no and that but that line came from the fact that's that's one great thing about some of the jokes is that they came from us unable to do another joke yeah or 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 to be able to do another like moment in the movie where like how do we solve this and then this thing came about and then it just worked and it worked really well and so yeah there there was a lot of like like there was every there's so many scenes there's there's like a cemetery of thousands and thousands of jokes that never made it. That every time I have a chance, I go to I go to Instagram or Twitter and I post like so many other scenes that like we haven't, you know, that were never they never saw the light of day. Um uh, but you know, it's 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 a fun, it was a fun experience. That's that's out. something I wanted to circle back to, and there's a few things in there. <clears throat> uh, I definitely want to uh spend a few minutes to talk about Phil and Chris. Um, yeah. The Furby scene was really, really fun. Um, but something that I, I don't want to say it, it's, it's sad that it's on Netflix because Netflix has such a huge range for people that can see this instantly. I mean, it, would you rather have 200 people see it in a movie theater over the weekend, or would you rather it be open to 200 million people watching it worldwide? What route are you going to take? Netflix is obviously hands down the no brainer answer, right? However, one thing that I absolutely love, I don't know if they do this, but I don't really buy movies anymore, DVDs or physical copies. But one thing that I absolutely loved to do back in the day was getting to buy the movie that had the director's cut because I loved watching the movie with folks like yourself and the creators. They would talk and walk you through like what we were thinking during this. Like you're watching the movie, but you're hearing them talk and discuss everything that was going on. Like we shot it this way because of X, Y, and Z. Now with Netflix, do they release movies or Netflix originals? Do they release them to DVDs or do they release or put out those that content? That didn't I think they do. Yeah. They do, but the, what I don't, what I don't know if it's it came that if that idea came from Sony. Okay, if like Sony had the rights to kind of like release it in, in uh, as a DVD, but I think so. I think Netflix was like super on board with it, because mm-hmm. um, I know a couple of like Netflix movies that are there, and then that was one of our dreams was to be able to have like you know if Katie was alive, she would be like, can we make this a Criterion Collection? Yes, <laughs> and can we make it? Can we give us some behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. And so like. We right now, if you go to iTunes, like you get, we we tried our best to do like a a behind the scenes with like the leader scenes. Uh, there's this thing that like I think Phil and Chris do really that I love that I think they did it in Spider Verse, which is like an extended version mm-hmm. where you have the movie and then boarded scenes of yes. what like the movie was going to be and then like other like art and it was it was it's really full. It's it's great. Uh, but yeah, we do have we do have one uh, that that I don't know who released it. I don't know. I feel like it was Sony, but I might be wrong. Okay, that's cool because that's something that I, I really wish that Netflix would do, where you could have an option after you watch the movie after the credits roll that you can do like what DVDs used to, and you go to bonus features or deleted scenes. I think that'd be a really yeah. cool option to have. I think HBO Max has it. Yes, right? I just started noticing with the Batman. I don't know if you've seen the Batman yet. Yeah, phenomenal. 
huge bat. I mean, I'm wearing Batman hoodie on me today. Uh, yeah. Most of my videos, it's usually cold as hell in my office because that's how I, I like it cold as shit in my, the house. I'd rather be cold than hot. Um, yeah. but, but Batman, is, it was a phenomenal movie. Um, so I'll, I'll take a look at that because I'm pretty sure they got some stuff on YouTube too. I noticed a lot of stuff from the yeah. movie, from the movie channels that they have on. So if it's the visual versus the machines, they'll have their own YouTube channel and they'll put stuff like that up there. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it'd be something really cool to see. And then I know they did an art of the spider verse book, which was a phenomenal book. It's a beaut- That movie was so yeah. beautiful. Um, did you guys do an art of book for the missiles versus the machines? Yes, we did. Yeah. If you go to Amazon, it's actually like, you can, uh, you can purchase it. Uh, it's a yeah. Just look for "Art of Mitchell versus the Machines," and it's just it's it has the same. I think I think it's the same company that did um, the Spider Verse one, and one of our goals was just to try to cram as much art as possible. Yeah, like it, like as many boards as possible, as many vis dev, many character designs, background art, and yeah. So now it's available over there. In the early day, in the early days when we used to be called Connected, uh, they were selling. The people apparently got books that said the, the art of connected, yeah, and it's the same art of book. But when they changed or we changed the name, it just went back to Mitchell. So some people have connected the art of connected, and some people have the art of uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. Well, it sounds like yeah. I get to buy both now to be a completist. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> Good, uh, I got that one starred. So I've been buying a lot of those as of late. Um, <clears throat> just trying to get into the anime, like doing this podcast for two years, I noticed a very long time ago that I'm way behind the curve when it comes to animation history. There is so much shit out there that, that I just trying to download and put in here. So when I talk to you guys and gals, it doesn't sound like I'm an idiot. Right. So when I, when I talk, I like to come from at least a little bit of a place of knowledge or a little bit of place of understanding that way. Like I said, I just don't want to sound dumb on this thing. Um, but I've really enjoyed these art of books because you get to, it's like that deleted scene or bonus footage. You get to see what the creator, what the writers, what the artists were really thinking and why, you know, why this color was chosen to be red instead of blue. You know, it, I, I like seeing that type of stuff. I like seeing how people's brains work. Um, but going uh, going back to um, Phil and Chris, man, what was what was the biggest thing you, you learned from them when they came on on to do this uh, to help out with this movie and help produce it and everything? What was some of the the big things that you took away as far as their tutelage and learning from them? What was something that stands out to you? Uh, there are multiple things. Um, uh, I remember that like the when they first came in, they're very open about saying this. They're like, "We're going by us coming in." We are going to make the movie worst before it gets yeah. better, because they like, <laughs> they like they like to be wrecking balls and like and then and then, but they they, they had some there was something very interesting like that I learned from them, which is, you know, once you bore something out, you might like it, but it's good to continue exploring because some some things that you kind of develop, you look at them and you're like that feels kind of that feels pretty good, but you but in their brains they're like no no no, what what will make it feel great. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, we can. I mean, can we try? And then I realized, and then I realized that, like, through that, I learned. It's like, yes, you can try because now you have this thing already works. Now let's put it here and let's try different versions. If none of these versions work, we can always go back to this. Yeah. But like, you might end up discovering something that you would never think you would find because you kind of you kind of like settled for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like a huge learning lesson. And 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 and. And for me, it was like, you know, um, they're very honest about comedy. You know, they're very like, you know, if there's something that doesn't make them laugh, like Phil is very open. <laughs> He's very like, why am I not laughing? Why am I not enjoying this right now? Uh, 
and and <laughs> we're like, and then we're like, okay, we'll make it. We'll, we'll find ways. And um, they came from a place where like there's a very improv quality to the, the creation mm-hmm. and coming up of ideas, which I am huge. I'm a huge uh, supporter of the idea of like you know like because I've seen scripts where like it's like this is the script and it's gonna stay this way. And you, you won't be able to tamper with it because that's my vision. But sometimes your vision might be wrong, buddy. I don't know. But sometimes <laughs> like, that's why the movie something didn't do well because it didn't connect. Um, and so like to be able to like take a script and just break it into pieces and then find it in that editor in the edit bay, like it, it, it was like a, it was a fun, it almost felt like a very chaotic, like punk. It's like punk rock way of doing filmmaking that, I, I, that I'm obsessed with. Um, and, but at the same time, like they were, they were, they were like that about like, you know, about the comedy, but especially about the heart. Yeah. Cause I think we, we always like me and Mike and Jeff, we always got something to lean too much into comedy. And they were the ones who were always remind, reminding us that it's like, make me care for this family. And I know you've heard, we've heard this a lot of times, but like, it is true. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you want to love this family. Yes. Um, you want to, you want to root for them. Yeah. And if you're making characters in their world, you kind of want to love the characters. Like, if, if you, because there is a, there is a misconception. Well, not a misconception. I think it's just a different way of making films where the character is very unlikable. And by, by the end, we end up liking the character. Uh, and so I think that what their, their, their approach is, the way they do things is that, like I said, no, I think I kind of want to like the character from the very beginning. Because if not, I won't care. Yeah. for him if he turns good at the end or if she turns good at the end good for them but i want to be able to fall in love with them especially when we're doing a family um and i think when they came in and then gave us all these like nuggets of wisdom that, that you know it helped us make the family a more the family went from being like a little bit of a wacky family to being like a wacky family that was very cool. realistic and very grounded and very familiar um and so like it, it just that that helped us a lot and 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 I knew, like, they always say, like, don't meet, like, Mike always says this, and I agree with him. They say, don't meet your heroes. And I'm like, and, but I was like, I met my heroes and they seem great. And now we're friends and they see filmmaking the same way we see, we see filmmaking. Um, yeah, it, it was wonderful. And it, it's so funny because, like, they're very, like, they're, they're huge cheer, cheerleaders. And to the point that, like, the movie's done. And they're like, nope. We can continue adding more jokes in. It's like, oh, can we? Okay. If you guys say yes, we'll continue. I don't. I don't know, man. Um, so yeah, they, that that's I think one of the, like some of the biggest things that we gonna gain from them. Um, that hopefully we'll implement it to our next films. No, that's really cool, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the last thing I want to circle back to, which is probably. Uh, you know, I told you how much that that scene with Rick and, and little Katie going through the years of the family movies really meant to me. But one scene in particular that I laughed so fucking hard at was the mall scene with the Furbies. What does it feel like to what was more rewarding, almost winning that Oscar or making Furby relevant for the first time in 30 years, man? What did it feel good bringing Furby back? What did that feel like to you? There is no question about it that the best thing was making bringing Furby back. Yeah, <laughs> Furby trending. <laughs> yes, like you can melt 17 different Oscars and make it into one giant Oscar and it will not be as gratifying as bringing as making that scene. Because yeah. I, 
I remember making I remember we were making that scene and and when we were doing it in the boards, like it was like this is fucking wild. Yes. <laughs> this is fucking crazy. And uh I, I, I kept telling Mike, like, I'm like, do we have the rights to the Furby? And he was like, Yeah, that's fine. Let's just keep let's keep going. Let's just make ourselves laughs. And we did. And then as you know, as as, as we started getting closer into production, it's like so do we do we do have the legal and i was like no nah, i guess we're gonna have to talk to hasbro now and hasbro i think it took a while for us for them for them to for us to communicate with them but uh but then eventually hasbro approved and then as as as, as the approval came to be uh we started like lighting stuff up that's when things started getting very fucking serious because yeah. like, like while you're watching this in the boards you're like this is silly but then you're having people in Canada and in LA and they're like building the Furby. I'm like, there's a wow, they built a Furby. Okay. <laughs> and then like they lighted it and then they animate it and then they add these special effects, which by the way, I for some reason, this is called this is such a, such a weird thing. I thought the Furbies had like little sparklers in their mouths. And my wife was like, no, they don't. Where did you get that idea? I'm like, oh, oh, never mind. Okay. And so they kind of like spit sparkle. And that's why justified the laser. Yeah. And by that time that I was like, oh, they don't do that. It was too late. Like they were already lighting <laughs> the giant Furby. <clears throat> and I remember one of the days I remember the most was like them putting all of the pieces together in mm-hmm. together in editorial. And and uh Phil turning around to Mike and saying, Don't say you don't get everything in life, man. Like you literally have a scene with a Furby shooting lasers at a mall, destroying half of the whole mall. Like this is an animated movie. And I think it was it was just like it was like it was like this is just a crazy concept. But then when they added music and they added like this the the the, the sound effects, I was like, this is the best, you know. This is I've reached Nirvana, you know. <laughs> I've reached <laughs> I've reached the pinnacle of whatever whatever of art. Um, but it was, yeah, that it was such a gratifying thing that almost didn't happen. Um, and, and, and we used to have like that, that gap between finding out of like finding out when we were finding out if we could get the rights to the Furby, we were coming up with different ideas. We were just like, we had screenings where we had, uh, Tickle Me Melmo's, which was this like Tickle Me Elmo, uh, ripoff. <clears throat> that was kind of like an Immortan Joe from Mad Max, and he had created his own own. It's uh, more terrifying than the Furby, by the way. Yeah, it was a New World Order that he created with all the appliances. By this time, the appliances <laughs> had come to life early on in the movie. So by the time that we got to the mall, they had their own ecosystem and they had their own roles, and it was like Lord of the Flies with appliances. And then, like when the family got captured, you see this cloaked figure walk in, and then he re- he takes off the cloak and is tickle me Melmo with a robotic hand, which is not a robotic hand. It was just like this that the fur in his arm was gone. And like a he, Terminator. Yeah, like Terminator, and he would just be like, he, he would just say like, and that's hot. Like lamb to the slaughter, you have brought me this family. And then some toy tickled him, and he was like, <laughs> and he would slap that toy. And we were like, this is insane. And we were upset with it. Uh, and we changed it to other things. Like we went to like this uh, char- character called Kawaii Kitty, which was like a Hello Kitty yeah. uh, spin-off. And, and, and she would just be like chanting and like shooting lasers at the family. <clears throat> and they were all funny, but they were never the Furby. Like, it was like, it's not the Furby. 
And then when the rights came to be, and we're like, and like, yeah, you guys can use it. Um, we had we had a screening at the studio, and when Furby popped up on screen, it was like a thunderous applause of like, yes, it's back, and everyone was so happy. And we're like, okay, so it was a bad mistake to uh, do anything else other than the Furbies. Uh, yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, I got to imagine, man, that feeling must have been amazing. <clears throat> but uh, just how that scene started with the little toaster coming out, toast popping up, says your toast. He's like, oh, cute. And then there's an arrow pointing up and then just hilarity ensues that that scene. And I tell everybody because whenever I, I go and recommend something like yeah. I'll say, especially at work, because I'm one of those guys, except 33 this year. For the most part at work, with the exception of like anime, nobody really watches animation at work. Yeah. But I, I try to I try to get on board and watch what they watch. That way, when I recommend something, they'll watch what I want or what I watch or what I recommend. Um, and whenever I sell somebody on this movie, I literally tell them the Furby scene. And then like all you had to say was Furby's becoming vengeance at night. And he's like, we're, we're sold. I was like the dark heart. It was just everything about that entire scene. It was worth the price of admission alone. Uh, it, it was, it was a phenomenal. It was probably my favorite scene of anything I've seen better part of a decade, man. That, that entire scene. Great, man. Fucking great, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we wanted like the, the, the inspiration of that whole scene was Mike saying the mall scene should feel like the minds of Moria, mm-hmm. you know, and, <clears throat> with all like the, the appliances and toys. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting away with this shit. You know, <laughs> so it was exciting. And, and we're, and it was exciting to make. And I'm, I, I'm happy that it's been so well received. Yeah, man. Like I said, it, it was fun. All right. So, We've been going for about an hour, so I figure what we can do is we can switch over to some of the fans' questions, man. Like I said, I absolutely love this movie. There's so many people that love this movie. You guys should have. I've said it a hundred times now. You guys should have won a fucking <laughs> Oscar. I hope whenever you guys do, uh, whether it's a sequel or you guys do something else, I hope the entire team that was for the Mitchells versus Machines stay together because you guys did something so special. You guys brought magic from your fingers to from here to down your arm to two fingers and to, to the pad and pen you wrote on to drawing, you guys made something so beautiful and so special. And I can't thank you guys enough for it, man. It was a real honor to see your movie. Well, it's a real honor. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, this is better than any statue. Yeah. There's a fact that people were like so fucking touched about this, by the movie and, and that a crazy idea was like well-received and people were like, I I hear you. Yeah. I know what you're trying to do, and I and I respect you for it. It, it means the world to us. So, so thank you so much. It, it's it's it, it makes me it makes us so happy. I'm glad to hear that, man. Uh, I think the Oscar should re- be replaced by the Furby man. Get, see if Mike can make some real some real trophies for you guys. And instead of that little Oscar man on there, they can put a Furby on there for you. I think I think it's I, I think it's time. I think I think I think legally we can get away with it. We can we can. Yeah, we just won't tell anybody. We won't share it on. Yeah, just, it. yeah. <laughs> but um. So there's two questions that I, before we get to the fans questions that I like doing, I just started implement, not implementing, but I just started bringing them up because I hear so many people that talk about their inspirations, right? Like whether it's art or whether it's street art, whether it's animators. <clears throat> so if you had hypothetically, not hypothetically, because I mean, there is a real Mount Rushmore, but if you had a Mount Rushmore of animators or artists or people that inspired you in the animation field, who would be your four that you would pick plus one for an honorable mention? So five animators, that uh, and they don't have to be animators. They could be writers. They could be, you yeah. know, 
something like that. Uh, so who would be on your Mount Rushmore and who would be your honorable mention? I would say uh, Ward Kimball would definitely be yes. up there. Uh, and then not animator, but writer is uh, John Swartzwilder mm -hmm. from The Simpsons. Uh, he was a, I, every single episode that he did, I was obsessed with. Um, oh man, this is so, this is, <laughs> oh gee. Um, and, oh, damn it, this is so, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> and by the way, before you, before you said, this is not a slight up against anybody else. This is just people. Oh, no, 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 no. Because yeah. obviously you, you probably have hundreds of people and trying to boil it down to just five. It's really difficult. So I, I want to make sure everybody knows that. It's really difficult. Um, because. To be honest with you, I, I, I and, and this, and I don't want to say this because I work with them, but I think the two other spaces yes. should be for Phil and Chris. Yeah. Like I, like I, you know, um, I still remember where I was where I saw Cloudy. Yes. And what that film did for me on a personal level as, an, as a student of animation, I was like, nothing against any other studio, but it said, oh, we can do things a little bit differently. Yeah. And that's all I kind of wanted to hear as an artist and as a filmmaker. I was like, okay, thank you. So I think though, like it's Ward Kimball, John Spostwilder, and Phil and Chris. And then the fifth mention. Oh man. Oh Jesus. Uh, the fifth mention. Oh God. <laughs> I'm gonna say this because and he's also a friend, so like, you know, whatever, but, but like third Van Orman. Yeah, yeah. That's my 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 fifth mention. I think just yeah, I, I got a chance to work with him and like just like I used to love his stuff before and but then, you know. But but I still think he's like one of the funniest people ever. And um, um yeah, it's so tough because there's so many. There's so it many. Is. It is. Uh, <clears throat> so I we, I just had Linda Semensky on and Linda Semensky was the second time I've had her on. Uh, she was the producer that pretty much had a hand in everything from Dexter's Lab to Samurai Jack to Dinosaur Train to, to Hey Arnold to anything on Cartoon Network at that time. And I asked her this question and I've asked this question a few times, but it's always interesting to see what people say, because like I said, I'm, I'm still a student in a sense that I want to know where and how animation and who's elevated, who's taken it to new levels. So whenever you guys have those people that are on your Mount Rushmore, maybe I've heard of Phil and Chris, but I haven't heard of certain people that people bring up. So I always write those names down and then I get yeah. to go watch YouTube videos or I get to read about them. I mean, my, my, my Mount Rushmore's it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it changes, but there's always a constant to it. I might bring somebody in because I'm like, Oh shit, this person is the reason that this person was on here. So I kind of got to take yeah. that person off. But I mean, it's always been Gendy. Gendy's always been my favorite animator. I mean, getting to see a little redheaded dude. Now I don't want to make it sound like just a white dude saying, Oh, there's no representation for me. Cause that's not what I'm saying, but to see, okay. seeing a kid like, like that looked like me. And this is why it's so important. Things like black Panther were so important because for the first time, uh, not a generation, excuse me, a, a, a group of folks got to see somebody that looked like them in a fucking superhero yeah. 
and Black Panther was so, like for like I got goosebumps now. But fucking from 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 the colors that they used of Wakanda, just the blues, the purples, the pinks, all of that neon stuff. It was just so fucking cool. And then just to get to hear some of my friends that talk about that movie, like right. So we would we would always Wakanda forever. We'd walk by each other. We we bark at each other, man. So it was, yeah, it was yeah. shit like that. It was just it was so fun. And then seeing this character because from such a young age, uh, I loved flea markets growing up, right? My mom always took them to us, those goodwill shit like that. And then my grandpa was one of those dudes that would like peel off a 20 back in the 90s and shit when we go to the flea yeah. market. And then he'd give my me a $20 bill and my, my younger brother a $20 bill. And he's like, go find something at the flea market that makes you happy. And this is before everybody, before eBay. So everybody just thought comics were bullshit. You'd get a trash bag full of comics yeah. for like $3, right? Sometimes the covers were missing. They all smelled like cigarette smoke and bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you, you would just get all this stuff and then I'd start reading them. And that's where I saw T'Challa for the first time. I got to see Luke Cage. I got to see Blade. I got to see all of these crazy characters. Daredevil, She-Hulk's always been my favorite Marvel character. Um, so I got to see all of these different characters at such a young age and then getting to see, you know, somebody that looks like me, even though there's a lot of stuff out there for folks that look like me. I got to see Dexter. And then I got to see Samurai Jack, which I could not have appreciated at such a young age, like 12 years old when Samurai Jack came out. I could not have appreciated it. I went back and watched it as an adult and I'm just like blown away. It's so far. Like he is 20 years, even 30 years ahead of his time on that show. Okay. Um, so Gendy's always been up there. Jorge Gutierrez is another guy. That guy's made me cry more times than probably any other animator out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, just his beautiful work, man. Um, Mark Davis was always my favorite out of the nine old men from the Disney days. I, I love his, his, just his artwork. is just fucking beautiful um and then and he was the one that i felt that milk call was the most jealous of i think in my opinion yeah yeah so that, that's, that's, that's good to know see milk call like he was like <laughs> it's just his 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 work was so beautiful so inspirational and then like i said I, I said something different with um with linda last night as far as uh, my honorable mention but but um craig bartlett for hey arnold and Craig McCracken, they're kind of tied for me. Hey, Arnold was so influential when I was younger. Oh, yeah. And then Craig McCracken, with everything he's done, his art style is so beautiful. Like, his direction for art is one of, like, you never see one of his shows look exactly the same. Like, everything is completely different. And 100%, yeah. When he was on the show, he told me about that because I, I was I always wondering, like, why does... Sometimes you could see somebody, they do something like, oh, that's a Gendy style, or oh, that's a Jorge style, or oh, that's a such and such style. When you see Craig's, you're like, holy shit, Craig's name is popping up. It looks completely different than what it looked like from his last project. And oh, that's yeah. just so innovative. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, those are those are always been, you know, my guys at the top of the list, man. That's a great um, then, list. That's a, what's that? That's a fantastic list. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll change next week, I'm sure. Gendy, yeah. like I said, for sure, always stays up. And the other guy I always, I always put up there is Danny Antonucci for the creator of Ed and Eddie because that's... That's my old plushy plank back there, man. It's just that there was something special about that show. Um, and the next one, man. So I started doing this with Randy because Randy's done. Uh, Randy's set up so many like, hey, you should really go and talk to this person. So this is the animation recommendation. Who would you like to see on the What's in My Head podcast? If you had to roll the dice to say, hey, you should check out this person. Who would you say they would have a good time on the show? Oh, boy. Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> is that my, the reason why I'm like I'm just quiet is just because there's so many people. Um, 
I feel like you're going to have a fantastic time with Mike Rianda. Yeah. Uh, he is going to talk your ear off in a good way. He has an energy that's fantastic. Um, I think, I think talking to like Phil or Chris Miller, like those are really good. Um, yeah, like oh, that's, that's interesting. Like I, I think there's two other people that I'm really close friends with that I, I think are f- always fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. There's three people. I'll, I'll go with that. There's Miguel Hiron. He was a storyboard artist for Spider Verse. Okay. <clears throat> um, he's fantastic. And I, I always have great conversations with him. Uh, Caitlin Van Arsdale. Uh, she was one of our board artists at, at Mitchell's. Mm-hmm. Um, and she used to work at, like, she used to work at Powerpuff Girls. And, you know, right now she's directing some other stuff. I think she's a fantastic person to have. And then, um, and then Lauren Sasson, we used to work at We Bear Bears together. She was a creative director of We Bear Bears for a while. She is, yeah, just, just like, these are people that you can just have a nice, lovely conversation with. Yeah. And they're full of a lot of information. And yeah, it's, it's just, I know, uh, um, oh, oh, man, there's so many people. Another <laughs> person is, uh, without, and, and then I'll stop, is uh, Lindsay Olivares, our production designer. Okay. Yeah, she has a lot a wealth of a wealth of information and wisdom and loves to talk like I do. So beautiful. That's cool, man. I'll make sure I check them out. And then uh we're gonna rotate into the fans. Thanks for thanks for mentioning those people. It's always fun. And uh like I said, I'll I'll reach back out because one thing's fun when I have friends of people that I've had on. Uh how I get some really, really good stories. I'm like, Hey man, you had a, uh, you know, you and you were such a friends, like you had any cool stories to tell. So whenever I get some of these on, I'll reach back out. Cause I've heard some of the coolest stories. Cause Randy was like, Hey, when you have Robert on or vice versa, when you have Randy on, like ask him about this. And it's always funny to see them like, Oh shit. I was hoping he wouldn't make me talk about that one. But now that he's done it, you mentioned <laughs> it. So I'll make sure, uh, I'll make sure I reach out and. Yeah, of course. So, all right. So we got some, uh, we got some real, real good ones here. <clears throat> one of my favorite ones. Uh, it's coming from a fellow animators, uh, Shaquem Wynn. He wanted to know, how did you get so much squash and stretch out of the digital characters? Uh, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, definitely, like, just the, like the rigs. I mean, that's the, the magic of, like, I I didn't get to tackle with that because mostly I did most, most mostly storyboarding, but, like, a lot of the people from Imageworks, you know, it's a, it's a place where, they they worked on Spider Verse, but they also worked on Hotel Transylvania. Like and so like the rigs and the and 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 uh, all the tools that they have up there are insane. Are some of the best in the world to be able to have so much range. Like because something I keep forgetting about 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 Sony Imageworks is that like the same person who animated Drac might have also animated like some done some creature animation for like a live action sci fi film, but it's also doing something for. Spider-Verse or mm-hmm. for Spider-Man. And so like there's so many amazing tools up there. And so I mean it's it, I think that's just the amount of like bones and rigs. I might be like some, there might be like someone from rigging who's like Guillermo's destroying <laughs> my department by his explanation. Um but the, I think yeah I think you just get like a like extra um you just get a lot a lot more rigs and a lot more like bones and joints that you can move around and stretch and you know um and we also try to like you know you say at Ed and Eddie and in, in a way, Mike had mentioned when he wanted to make uh, when he was making this film that he that Ed and Eddie or, or like you know Beavis and Butthead were all inspirations for this film. Yeah, 
that sort of messiness that the, the movie has. And like, if you close up on the pupils of the, of the Mitchells, no pupil is similar to the other one, you know? And so like, cause it kept that sort of like, almost like, um, you know, like Lindsay Olivares aesthetic that is very similar to Ed and Eddie. It's kind of TV, which yeah. is like a very specific looking characters. Uh, since you, if you think about like sometimes animation and feature, a lot of the characters have a generic look to them. And so like we used a lot of like Ed and Eddie, a lot of Cartoon Network inspiration uh, to help us define how these characters move and act and everything. So hopefully that answered the question. Uh, oh, that, that's really <laughs> cool. And uh, before I forget, because you brought up We Bear Bears. Absolutely. Yeah. Love My son and I watched that religiously. Nice. Such a fun show. Um, and I mentioned her name just a little bit ago. But do, you, do you know Linda Semensky? I don't know Linda Siminski. Uh, okay. So she's over at Duolingo now, but she started out in Nickelodeon. She's been executive producer on, like I said, almost everything from Ed yeah. She was the big reason it came to Cartoon Network by Nickelodeon. Um, her and Danny Antonucci were real close. <clears throat> but uh, Craig McCracken, she's the reason the Powerpuff Girls came. To, I mean, she had to go out there and say, hey, oh, no, wow. there's something here. Because it didn't test well. It tested twice and it just didn't test well. And she was like, Craig was working on Dexter at the time. She's like, make it funny like you do with these boards. She's like, there's something here for the Powerpuff Girls, right? So she was that driving force that um, Foster's Home. She was on there for like the first season. Um, but everything from Samurai Jack, all that stuff. And she brought up We Bear Bears last night. Um, okay. And she, because I was asking her what some of the newer stuff that she really enjoys. And she brought that show up specifically. So I wanted to say... Uh, there's somebody wow. out there that absolutely loved uh, We Bear Bears. That's uh, great. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's a fun show. So Nicholas John, Poz- I apologize if I pr- pronounce your name last name wrong, Pozinga, uh, what was the hardest part of the film to plan out in storyboard form? And is it true that storyboarding is often considered to be the, hard- well, he, he put the in uh, capitalized, uh, capitalized the, the hardest field to work in for animation. So the first part, what was the hardest part to film, plan a storyboard form? Um, there were multiple sections, but I, I the ones that I remind remind the most are, and I'm just using the codes that we used like for and uh, to the, the final scene, the 1100, and which was the the scene where the dumb robots show up, yeah. uh, and and then the actual robot attack was actually one of the hardest ones. The reason why the fr- the first one was hard, like the the dumb robots, is for some reason, like you know, we kind of wanted the family to just like say we're gonna save the world like after the whole like attack and then and, and, and in the dino stop happened we wanted the family to say like let's go save the world and then go off and then that's it but for some reason like katie trying to trying to explain to her dad why we should go out and save the world became insanely difficult really really difficult to do and we don't know why and and i don't know if it was that we were like katie was like oh i have an idea i'm gonna trick my dad into like go for us and i'm gonna trick my dad into i'm gonna convince him that we have to go save the world if i lie to him or whatever and it was just like it was so complicated and there were so many things that had to happen in that scene we had to have that moment that was captured but a security camera where we see you know uh, katie lying that like yeah. you know she doesn't care about the whole connecting with her dad um but for some reason every time it would screen that scene that's the moment where like everyone would just try to kind of like go into the bathroom you know like that's and so and sometimes those scenes ended up being like really long and for and we're like why is it so long and we haven't even got to the robots yet like the first versions of that scene no joke so before we even saw the dumb robots there was only there were early versions where we saw a car 
and we think that the robots are going to pop out of it. And then it's revealed that it's the vice president of, you know, a fake vice president. And, and, and we had it and we thought he was funny because he was like, I'm a vice president. No one respects me more. No one respects me at all. And he learns, he learned, <clears throat> he learned how to find self-respect through the journey with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we, as we're watching and realize, oh, wow, we are in minute 40 something. And there has not been a damn robot in this entire film. <laughs> and the movie's called Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, and so we removed we removed the, the, the that guy, and then we brought the president, and then we brought the president, and that didn't work. And then we brought the dumb robots, and then like it just took a while. It was just a process that took way longer than it needed. Needed, and then eventually, you know, like there was moments where like we uh, we're trying to find out how the robots will tell the Mitchells about like the 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 kill code. Mm-hmm. And we were just, it, were, it took forever. But then one day they, we were like, what, about, what if the robots just say it? Yeah. What if there's a dumber, dumber robot that goes like, oh, there's a closer, there's a closer, uh, you know, there's a, there's a place that you can actually download the kill code. And it's, it's in this mall. <laughs> yeah, but you can never survive. It's actually 80 miles away. Yeah. And <clears throat> we learned in that scene that if it's exposition that is hidden in a joke, Mm-hmm. the audience won't even care they'll be like oh okay you know that was funny but you got information from it so that was like one of the hardest scenes for some reason to this day i'm still going like why was it so hard now that was hard but the hardest for me without question was the dino stop scene mm-hmm. and it was because it was the search of the, the tone of the movie was going to be because <clears throat> it was the first time that the robots got to attack it was the first time we see a robot attacking humans. Mm-hmm. And the first version of it was very R-rated because you saw the robots and they would shoot lasers at the people and then people will fall on the ground and they were like, they wouldn't wake up. They were stunned. But, you know, we never, I never said like they were stunned. So people looked like they were dead. Mm-hmm. And the first screening, they were like, uh. This got dark uh, quick. <laughs> this got dark quick. Are people dead? And we're like, no, no, they're, they're, they're stunned. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, they look like they're dead. I'm like, okay, I'll fix it. And so my way of fixing it was keeping the scene the way it was and then having a POV of the robot that said, stun. Yeah. <laughs> and then they shot the people. And then by the end, people are like, no, you you did that, but that I'm still looking at dead people. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then we added a scene eventually where like, they, I was like, where me and Mike were like, where do they put the humans? Do they, they carry the humans? And I was like, oh, let's put them in trucks. And so we had a pile of bodies inside a truck. And it was just like so dark. And then and then one, I was like, oh, they look like they're dead. I have an idea. And so I had one guy going, oh, what's going on? And that was it. And then still, it was like too dark. Yeah. So we did. It's like we went the opposite direction and we made it very bubbly. And the song was very whimsical. And then, like when they shot them with lasers, it was like a bubble that was very round and bubbly and kind of like circular. And then I remember Mike Moon, who was the our one of our executive producers at that time, saw that and was was like, "Yeah, don't ever show this clip to anyone ever in your life. This is horrible. This is atrocious." <laughs> and so, from that point on, <clears throat> it was all about like how to strike the tone that said, "This is an apocalypse movie, but it's a fun apocalypse." Yeah, for families, you know, because we didn't want to make the road for kids, you know, because <laughs> um, the first thing that we talked about was like, let's make children of men, but for kids. And yeah. I'm like, that's going to be fucking hard, you know. <laughs> um, so it took a while. 
and we we went for, it went from like multiple robots to two robots sorry mm-hmm. to one robot but for some reason that one robot looked like it was like jason Voorhees, like kind of just basically like walking and killing people yeah. and then we were like well let's make it two robots and so we made it two robots and after two robots we found a right song that was more like upbeat and but still like a little bit tense and we're like it's working and then the big change was uh lizzie olivares and her team kind of did a color palette on the, on the scene that had like a very tropical colors yeah. there's a lot of oranges a lot of pinks a lot of purples and that brought the tone but it took for fucking ever to get that theme right beautiful man um uh <laughs> lil attack pug wants to know uh manchi solo film when good question uh <laughs> uh so so solo pug is that, is that is that his name what's that what was the name was the uh, name? it was lil attack pug lil attack pug yeah <laughs> uh that will be a dream i don't know at some point I wanted. I, I remember wanting to pitch an idea of a short that came with the DVD, where it was you would just see highlights of the movie, but mm-hmm. to the point of view of Manchi, because through the whole movie he's very happy. Yeah. So it's just like imagining, like just like I wanted to do one where it was just like him seeing people getting captured, but they're all happy because he thinks everything that everyone's just playing, um, but we never got a chance to do it. So, but if we get to do it, that would be amazing. Yeah, well, stay tuned, little pug. It's a little tech yeah. pug. Um, little tech pug, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> China Shot Bull. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, I watched this with my kids, and we talked about his second part, so I'll, I'll just read this uh, this first part. Um, I watched this with, with my kids, and the joke about the stock photo of the family that came in the frame made my seven-year-old daughter laugh so hard she peed her pants. Uh, so she really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, here we are. Uh, what's more challenging, a head of story? Uh, what's more challenging as a head of story, drawing or writing? Um, I would say writing. Just yeah. coming up with the idea, because I think once you have the idea, as like drawing it, I think from for me personally, like I know visually what I want to say, mm-hmm. but the content creation of it is sometimes is like the more trickier thing, uh, and it's not about. Surprisingly, sometimes people say like, oh, I have no ideas of what to write. I mm-hmm. think it's the opposite. I think it's that we have so many possibilities of what it can be. Let's figure out which one is the right one. Um, but then I, I started to learn that if I do have a bunch of ideas, or if, even if they're not right, even mm-hmm. if they feel like a little bit wrong from the very beginning, just putting them out there might be the best thing to do. Yeah. And so like sometimes like, you know, I would have this idea that doesn't match with the movie, but for some reason there's a, a little kernel of something that Mike's makes make, makes Mike go, oh, what if we do this thing? Basically, yeah. we can't do this, but what if we do this? And then that sets off like a chain of events that immediately made me go, oh, I think I know what I want to write down. Uh, so yeah, I think that's definitely a difficult part because uh, visually, I think you know we, I. Once you know what you want, I think as a once once I know what I want, I, I I'm able to like do it in a very quick way. It's like I think this thing, so yeah, beautiful. And, then- uh, and in regards to that, that photo, I have a story about the photo, by the way. Go for uh, it, go for it. Tell us. <clears throat> so, so I remember we had like the photo took a while to get made. That that, that joke that we had went through some a bunch of iterations because. So my like we try to draw like the perfect like oh what about like I came up with a joke like five years ago of like 
of in a scene Lena just said like oh um you know we have all these pictures and you guys try you two are always arguing and I was like well, what if like there's a photo that's like the perfect family but it's not a family it's not them yeah. and it's like a stock <clears throat> and it's a stock photo and that worked but then like the first version was a hand-drawn version of the perfect family and then they, it was like oh it's not funny yet I'm like oh I get it. I know what it is and I just use an actual humans actual photo of human people and it was like oh okay like so that way the joke landed immediately you're like oh that's really funny um mike then after that wanted to get a whole what's legal started happening we need to find a family and apparently we couldn't find a family and they were like oh maybe we can like draw something or draw them in such an uber realistic way that like you know we 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 don't have to use that particular family we did that and it didn't work it wasn't as funny and then Mike decided to hire a private investigator to, <laughs> to, to find where the family was because we couldn't find a family. And so that private investigator didn't work. And that, but then he told Mike, hey, Mike, I can't do it. That being said, there's this guy whose nickname is The Wolf, who's really <laughs> good at finding these people and finding the, that you're looking for. And so, and so I think The Wolf was able to find a family in Australia, and and I think that's how it happened. Like, and, and, I, and I, Mike was telling me the story, and I was like, "Wait, you, for the joke, you all, you hired a private investigator?" And he was like, "Yeah, man." And I was like, "And this is why I will die with you to, you know, I will die with you in battle." So, yeah. <laughs> what part of the budget is that coming out of? That's what I want to know. Like, where does private? Where do they see it on the ledger? They see private investigator. <laughs> fucking photo that's so great <laughs> i have no idea and i feel like if i say if i if i say it like i'll probably get into trouble i don't know I, 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 that's a joke but i have no idea i have no idea i wonder if mike just like took it out of his budget you know like he's just like yeah. out of his pocket like that feels like an out of a pocket decision like you don't go to the lord you don't go to the producer and go like hey so hear me out that joke boy does it land oh boy so <laughs> Oh, the only way we're gonna get that joke is if we find his family that's so elusive. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What it, I don't know what it was, but you know. I feel like you guys should have made like another another invitation to the Oscars, and you guys should have brought the wolf with you. That is fucking. That is one of my favorite stories I've ever heard on the show. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. yeah I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one here, and uh, oh man, I, I feel like we should just end it on that one because. <laughs> That is great, man. So thank you for sharing that. So Bruno.life.94 wants to know, uh, where did the idea of Aaron loving, I'm pretty sure this one's obvious, but where did the idea of Aaron loving dinosaurs come from? Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's how he ends it. But uh, yeah. dinosaurs, was that a Mike thing? Mike liked a dinosaur? That's a, Jeff, that's a Jeff thing. I think Jeff Jeff was obsessed with dinosaurs and is obsessed with dinosaurs and is obsessed with roller coasters. And a fun fact, like there's a character from, you know, show Clarence, Yes, I love that Jeff. That's the co-director of Mitchell's. Uh, he was really? obsessed with, yeah, but it's based on him. It's based on his, his obsession with like, with uh, with roller coasters and dinosaurs and all that stuff. That's him. Uh, he was the one that was super super obsessed. Michael's thing was obsessed, but like I think all the information of like you know like I would write down like oh this is a T Rex and he'd be like no that's not T Rex man. That's a, that's a, the actual name is this fucking thing and i'm like oh okay sorry sorry they didn't want to upset the uh the the paleontologists around, around the world um but yeah no he he was the one that was obsessed with dinosaurs and you know 
Um, but I think Mike was the one, I might be wrong, but I think Mike was the one that came up with the joke of, um, of hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? Okay, no, thank you. Because I think Mike used to, Mike used to do that, but instead of dinosaurs, it was calling all the game stops, being like, hi, do you have, do you guys want to talk about this video game? Oh, okay, never mind. That's all good. Thank you. And then he will call all, every other one going like, hey, you guys, you guys want to talk about this video game? No? Oh, okay. And so he just merged those two worlds to make that one joke. Oh, that's, it's phenomenal. When you can take real life and you can put it into something you're working on, life imitates art and art imitates life. It oh, yeah. makes it realistic. And the fact that he was scratching shit out of a, um, out of a phone book was just phenomenal. And, um, and that is, and then the movie started that way. So you immediately go like, oh, I get this movie now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's phenomenal, man. Uh, so we've hit we've hit the end, man. Where can people come and find you on the old social medias? If they want to say, "Hey, man, I really enjoyed what you work on," or or if they want to see what you're working on down the road, where th- where can they come and find you out on the internet? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. I'm gonna have to open it up to be able to know what I'm. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm on Twitter and I'm on like Instagram, uh, and my name is uh, Billy Bob Martinez because I found out that Guillermo is Bill and Roberto is my middle name, and then my one of my friends was like, "Are you Billy Bob?" I'm like. Oh fuck! I am Billy Bob, and so that that became my thing. Is like oh, my name is gonna be Billy Bob Martinez, and I'm on Instagram and on Twitter, and in both I'm always uploading stuff that like every time I'm like going to the computer and looking and finding like a deleted scene mm-hmm. or a boarded scene from Mitchell's, I'm always posting it. Like so, so if you want to see or know more about like some of the scenes that never made it, then you know you can go to go there and you know and and look at my stuff and then um and in regards to like work and things i'm doing now right now i'm like right now i'm directing i'm writing uh some some projects with sony i can't say much about them but like you know it, it, they're very exciting and you know hopefully in the near future we can i can talk more about them <laughs> i'm pretty sure you'll be able to and all of the links for all of your social media will be in the description so ladies and gentlemen you can just go point and click you don't have to type it out i make it really easy for you, you just go and click and then you hit follow or whatever the hell the other one is. What, what do you do now? Follow on Twitter. I think it's follow on yeah. Instagram as well. So you guys can just go to his page and hit follow and get some really good Mitchell versus Machine content as well as whatever's coming out next, man. Uh, there's no better way to end this show other than saying, Guillermo, I almost fucked up your name. Guillermo. <laughs> Guillermo. Uh, it's been a fucking blast, man. I, like I said, Randy, I appreciate you putting in a good word for me. This has been real fun. Like I said, this movie was real, real special. And I appreciate the fuck out of everybody that had a hand in this. You guys did something really special with this one. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and thank you so much for, you know, watching it. And, you know, and, and like, this goes back to something we talked about earlier. Like, I'm happy that it came out on Netflix. And, you know, because, you know, we, it was a film that, like, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen in theaters, especially during the, during the pandemic. Like, would people go watch mm-hmm. an original movie that no one asked for? Yeah. But to see that, like, once it hit is the Netflix, it, it was like well received by families and it has touched people and it has connected people, especially moments that, like, you know, make you think of either your parent or you think of your kid. You know, like the fact that we can help you be happy and cry and laugh at the same time, like, you know, that's the best, that's the best gift we can, you know, give to the world. I don't know how to put words together. I'm sometimes, <laughs> I'm sometimes like refrigerator magnets, I'm just like <laughs> words, but whatever uh is this has been, this has been a, yeah this has been a blast though it's but it's been one of the favorite podcasts i've actually had that i've talked on so thank you thank you man i really appreciate that man he, he's been 
Guillermo. I've been Julian. This has been the What's My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thank you.